The morning of the day I got sick, I've been thinking. It's good to be in something from the ground floor. I came too late for that. I know. But lately I'm getting the feeling that I came in at the end. The best is over. The Sock Jig Sneaker Podcast is a generational hater. Welcome to episode 54 of the Sock Jig Sneaker Podcast. I'm your host, Sock Jig. You can follow me on Twitter at Sock Jig and on Instagram as well. And how are you doing out there? How are you enjoying this slow time in sneakers? You know, in recording of this episode, I always do the intros at the very end. At one point, I said it feels like the off season. And then my friend Brendan said basically the same thing to me. And no, not that Brendan, a different one. And just checking on Twitter, I see how people are using their time. I made a joke that people are using this time to like get in fights and arguments. And I've seen multiple people actually say that there's been a shift on Twitter lately. Maybe it's because of the ownership and all the shit that's going on there. But people seem to be saying, hey, it's a little bit less fun now. It's the same three topics and the same three arguments over and over. Maybe there has been a shift and people are feeling it. And I guess when times are slow, it's a good time to get into arguments and have the same three arguments over and over again. But honestly, I feel like we should embrace the offseason, just like how they do in sports. We should take this time to recharge, take this time to maybe not have a public opinion on things, take this time to not start fights online. But whatever it is, if sneakers are slow for a bit, if it's just the offseason, it won't affect this show. I honestly have a lot of ideas for evergreen type of content that I'll roll out over the next few months. And also working on a big guest very soon as well, too. In this episode, some of the topics I cover are the return of Yeezys, the Travis SB restock rumors, and that recent Nike Business Insider story. Some of these topics are from a few weeks ago. Really, it did take me a few weeks to create this episode, so I had to be recording them over time. But overall, in this episode, I talk about more things than just these topics. I, I get a little bit more introspective than I usually do. And the main topic that I had in mind for this episode was advice I'd give to a 21-year-old sneakerhead, or maybe what I'd tell myself if I was starting a collection now. Either you're in your early 20s or you're older and you know someone who's a teenager or in their early 20s and maybe they ask you questions. So it was in that premise that I thought, hmm, what would I say to that person? And I don't really speak in cliches on this podcast other than the game is the game, but that's different. That's the motto. I mean, I don't always say just wear your kicks or buy what you like and just hammer that point. I try to say things in a different way. And so that kind of main segment morphed into more of a life advice segment than anything else. And sometimes I touch on things that I said in previous episodes, but honestly, it's a hallmark of any podcast to be a little bit repetitive. And repetition kind of is a key theme that comes up in this episode. The other themes that come up is about having perspective and the importance of memory which is kind of related to the cold open, which is from The Sopranos, which also comes up. I'm also dropping socks right now. This is the first time I've ever done ankle socks. These are the game is the game ankle socks in violent green, as I'm calling it. That's basically neon green or volt, as Nike calls it. I called it violent green after a line in an REM song called What's the Frequency, Kenneth? And they're available right now on shop.sockjig.com. The password is memory. 
shop.sockjig.com password memory. So go right now if you want a pair of ankle socks. I posted a photo of them on Twitter and Instagram a few weeks ago, and I know that ankle socks aren't for everyone. I know Volt colorway isn't for everyone, so I made way fewer of these than I usually do. So if you like them, if you want to support me, if you like this podcast, you can buy the socks right now. If it goes well, I may do a few more ankle socks over the next few months. So either way, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast and buying socks. So shop.sockjig.com, password is memory. On feet lately, I've been wearing the Action Bronson New Balance 990 V6 Baklava, I guess it's called. And that is a comfortable shoe. As I said before, I like this version way better than the gray version of the V6. It's got a much thicker sole than other New Balances I have, I guess, but I don't know, I like it. Also recently was wearing the off-white OG Presto with the zip tie on. This started a bit of a discussion on Twitter with LA3, whether it should be on or off. He is more of the line that it should be off, and I'm more of the line that it should be on. I think Virgil himself was purposely vague about if the zip tie should be on or off, kind of like leaving it up to you to make up your mind, and... That was him showing that this is art and art is subjective and you can have it on, you can have it off. You know, that's the true magic of art that it works on different people in different ways. When I wear the zip tie, it's on the left shoe, on the left side. It's always secured under two loops and it barely moves. I wouldn't wear it if it's free and moving around. I have the Zoom Fly, which has a much different lacing and it kind of flies around a bit on that one. So sometimes I take it off on that one, but I haven't worn the Zoom Flies in a long time. The other key thing is I don't wear off-whites for very long, maybe a day or two, and usually for small trips, I don't wear them for weeks straight as a beater. I would probably tire of the zip tie wearing it every day, all day for weeks on end. You know, everyone wears their sneakers different. If you wear them as beaters and want the zip tie off, I would probably do the same. So it's not like a hard and fast rule is what I wanted to say. For pickups, these are the pickups since late April, since the last time I mentioned pickups. I got the Wizards Jordan 3s. I picked up the Converse Weapon Fragment. That's an old head shoe, if there ever was one. That was the first shoe I ever wanted in the mid-80s before Jordans took off. I picked up the Jaw 1 OG version from Goat, and uh, that's a disappointing shoe in hand. It kind of looked like someone sat on them. They're super wide, like clown shoes. Maybe it's just a size 13, but quality-wise, it just looked dented and just sad in hand. Uh, just very disappointing. It's not a shoe I'm going to buy again. I also got the Travis Jordan ones in olive in a size 13 and a half and an impossible size. And that's because Team Travis looks out for the jig. Friend of the show, Travis Scott, huge fan of the podcast. So thank you to the people who assisted me on that. Those I have laced up, but I haven't actually worn yet. I also got the Jound Salomon XT Wings 2 from the Jound site. For whatever reason, I zipped right through checkout and got my size 12. And I saw a lot of other people had a lot of issues with it, especially with smaller sizes. Usually it's the opposite, where smaller sizes sit a bit and the big sizes fly. I got them in hand, and they're pretty underwhelming in hand. They're kind of sale. They look more white in the photos, but they're more yellowish and blue. And probably a shoe that I will sell to pay off the other shoes that I listed here. And speaking of that, I got a bunch of Yeezy slides and foam runners and the Pirate Black from the Yeezy release on Adidas Confirmed app. At least in Canada Confirmed app, it seemed like it was super easy to get anything, but I don't know if that just means because I'm a 
level one or level four or whatever the high levels are on Adidas. But they were sitting, zebras were sitting. There's all kinds of like second chance options on there. The Pirate Black 350 Yeezy was the first Yeezy I ever bought. So this will probably be the very last Yeezy I ever buy, at least for the 350s. I also picked up that Nike NFT that they did, the Our Force Ones or whatever it's called, OF1. And it's an NFT project where they don't say it's an NFT. They don't want to use the word NFT because that word is a buzzkill right now. And I didn't exactly want to do an entire segment on this, and maybe I will later, but I honestly just bought it to see how Nike handles NFTs. And it was only $20, so it was an easy way to try it out. But the other part was like that FOMO part. Like, what if they do some hype drop in the future, and the only way to get it is if you own this NFT? And when it came to the actual release of the NFTs themselves, there was a botched release. There was a whole bunch of server issues, and one could log in. I wasn't able to buy till like the next day. They, they figured all that out, but the other key point was that they didn't exactly sell out. They didn't exactly fly. They did sell a lot of them. They made a lot of money. At this point, I honestly don't think there much is going to come of this project because it did not sell out. You know, utility is always one of those big buzzwords in NFTs and biggest desires. What can I get with this? What will it get me? And because it didn't sell out, I personally think Nike won't treat it as anything special because of that. Would they give you a Travis one because you went to the Foot Locker and bought something off the Foot Locker wall? Not really. So, you know, sometimes the utility is that you got a picture of a shoe on the blockchain. Congrats. Skips. I skipped the J-Tips Saucony shoe. It's not a shoe for me, but I get why people like it. And that's the way it goes with wild shoes. They either hit the spot or it's something you just kind of reject outright. Either way, a wild shoe does what it's kind of intended to do. Kind of like how I was talking about Virgil and art earlier, a wild shoe is kind of the same thing in that it's intended to elicit a reaction. And you either love it or hate it, and it's not going to be in the middle where it's boring or completely forgettable. So even though this is not a shoe for me, I get why people like them, and it seemed like it was a really well done release, a total old school type of release where his fans showed up and showed out and they got the shoe. So congrats to J-Tips for that. I also skipped on the Spider-Man Jordan ones. Well, a friend asked me to try for his size nine and a half on sneakers and I tried that and I got the L, but overall I love this shoe. I thought the concept was awesome from the moment I saw it. I thought the look of it was cool and how it had different cuts and panels and all that kind of stuff. You know, I really loved Spider-Man as a kid and a teen. He's obviously the most relatable superhero to kids and teens, so that's why everyone has this fandom with Spider-Man. I have the Todd McFarlane comic book collection from the 90s and, you know, enjoyed those early Tobey Maguire movies as well. But at some point, I just didn't need to consume or watch Spider-Man movies. And it's not something I actively thought of, but just gradually did over time. And like I said, it's not like I dislike it. I have a lot of fond memories of it. So I haven't seen the first cartoon version, the Into the Spider-Verse or Out of the Spider-Verse or whatever it's called. And I haven't seen the new one either, but I've heard they're both good and I will probably loop back and watch them. And that's kind of my current perspective on a lot of things when it comes to fandom, that you can love and appreciate some things from afar, but just don't need to seek it out at that moment in your life. But you can change your mind and loop back on it later if you want to. Like I said, it's not just movies, it's not just sneakers, it's music, it's a lot of things. You know, 20 years ago, I was listening to indie rock, like The Shins or The National. Both have albums that I liked a lot and was listening to all the time back then, but not something I have on repeat in 2023. Whereas there's other music like 
Guns N' Roses or Nirvana or Jay-Z that I'll just listen to repeat forever. So there's a time and a context for things, and I look back at it as time well spent. So I'm not going to go out there and saying, what, you're 35 and watching Spider-Man movies? Grow up. Like, that's one of those things where if you tweet it, you'll get backlash, and kind of deservingly so, because you're only thinking about your own perspective and projecting it on others. For some, Spider-Man is their version of what Guns N' Roses is for me, something that's there forever and you just enjoy it forever. It's a time and a context. And especially for stuff like Spider-Man, a parent might want to, you know, share the things that they loved as a kid with their kids, and that's why people start re-watching Star Wars and stuff with their kids. So that was a long way of saying I like the Spider-Man Jordan 1, but I didn't get it. Another shoe that I skipped out on was the Haritos Dunk SB. I was joking in the previous episode that I don't know the pronunciation. For that shoe, you know, it's it's, it's a nice shoe. It's overall I've heard is very good quality in hand as well, that the white leather is actually like this white nubuck. And speaking of perspective, there was a part of the shoe that I didn't like, which was the canvas overlays. From the description itself, it says, the canvas overlays are inspired by the original canvas bags used to harvest the vibrant fruits that drive the brand's unique flavors. So my perspective on this, which I shared a bit in the previous podcast, and you know, I've never really told my full origin story or anything, and I probably will do one day. So this isn't the full story. This is just a flashback, I guess. So I said on that podcast that I was a migrant farm worker with my mom as a young kid. And so I'm a first generation immigrant here, meaning I'm born in Canada. My parents were not. And we weren't, you know, dirt poor or anything, but we obviously were not rich. And we lived on the wrong side of the tracks, not on the right side of the tracks. And we didn't live in squalor or anything. We had a perfectly normal, smallish house. But it was a small town. There's no footlocker in my small town. There's a local sporting goods store that sold sporting equipment and skis. That's it. So in the summers from like the age of seven to 12 or so, I would go with my mom and work on farms with my mom. That's just what you did. And we worked not in that small town, but like six hours away from home, picking strawberries and raspberries and things like that. Living away from home on a farm in the summer. Child worker. So now there's a feature on a shoe that's a nod to the people who work on the farm. So, you know, my question is, whose idea was this? One, the farm owners, these small fruit farm owners are all assholes. They treated people like shit and tried to stiff them. The living conditions were shit. So it's probably not the farm owners. So it's corporate. In this case, it's Haritos. And so wherever the fruit ended up going, they were all nameless and faceless to the farm workers. Never saw them. Only person you saw was the farm owner who tried to stiff you. But, you know, this is Haritos and this is Nike, so it's probably those combinations of a collab that did it. So if it's the Nike designers, my question is, what are their names and what do they look like? And did they, and were they child laborers on a farm? No, I'm guessing they were not. So that's my perspective. I don't hate the shoe or anything. Just sharing what I know and how that whole thing was a shitty experience and to have it honored on a shoe it doesn't do much for me. But hey, it's a cool way to use material and a tearaway concept and tie skateboarding and farm workers and Haritos and Nike all together. So sometimes a canvas overlay is just a canvas overlay for people. Adidas and Yeezys are back for now. And first up, I wanted to talk about the, the secret sauce cook group that had originally reported that Kanye and Adidas were working together again. And I dug up the original tweet and this is what it said. Kanye West and Adidas have officially reached an agreement to release the remaining scheduled pairs of Yeezys for 2023. No new colorways will be produced as of now, 
smart move for both parties, question mark, end quote. And that was in February 23 of 2023. And that was a tweet that got picked up by various media outlets, including, you know, known ones like High Snobiety and places like that, but also all those, you know, Rap TV and Rap Loud that are all run by like 23-year-old white guys. And the aggregated screenshot version of it was basically Kanye and Adidas are back. And if you actually click through the article and read it, and it gave the source and info about two-thirds of the way down, it always circled back to secret sauce group. Sometimes they named it, sometimes they just said anonymous group said this. And most of my criticism on both on this pod and on Twitter was basically about that, that they were just using some random cook group as a source, a cook group that had not posted much news before this. I had said it at the time that if you're going to be leaking news, that you have to have at least some credibility for people to believe the news. And in this case, this group did not have credibility because this was their first post. But people believed it anyways. Well, they had said the agreement was done back in February. That one, I don't think anyone will ever know because it's not official official until Adidas actually announced it. But in this case, they were right. And in the other case for the Travis SB coming back, I don't believe that that's right. I don't believe it's accurate. So that's the dangerous, tricky slope here. But back to Adidas, they probably always knew what they're going to do. They just had to wait long enough. And if that secret sauce cook group reporting is accurate, they probably knew back in February, but had to wait it out until you know May or June to make this decision. They weren't just going to burn them all. And I'm pretty sure they knew that too. But they kind of had to act it out like they're conflicted about it and torn up about it. Because that at least buys them some time. And so... You know, maybe that's just me being cynical. I'm pretty sure they really were real discussions of people in meetings and having these talks and sharing feelings. But there's probably people in the room that knew this was all performative in a way and that the end goal was always going to be that they're going to release somehow because we're not going to eat that cost totally, which makes all those meetings mostly pointless. And if you're in a corporate world, you've kind of dealt with that before. You've gone to meetings that are mostly performative and pointless. And the way they dropped, it was designed to not get much blowback. There's partial proceeds going to charity. Kanye's still going to get his 15% cut. The Hollywood celebrities that were protesting it previously, they aren't loud about it right now. Susan Sarandon hasn't locked herself to the giant superstar statue outside of Portland HQ. So it was designed to release in a way, and it worked for them. But Adidas is in need-gone mode. (laughs) Need-gone is one of those lines that always cracks me up when people are selling. I need this gone. As I said, it was pretty easy for me and for a lot of people, and I know other people had issues, and they got rid of a large chunk of them. And they didn't really do any marketing for this other than the press release about the charity stuff, the email that it's dropping today, and then a couple alerts on confirmed. Not every single drop got a push notification. The rest of the marketing was left to Twitter to tweet out when a new drop was coming out. It was also only Adidas for now. Again, I think it was designed that way on purpose so that if there is blowback, it doesn't go to retailers. And most likely retailers are going to get the later releases that are coming out. And overall, it's good for the sneaker industry short term. Adidas needs that cash flow. Retailers need the cash flow. Various resellers and consignment shops need the cash flow. The botters dusted off their bots and got them working and hit a bunch, it looked like. So it's all good for now. And how long this lasts? I don't know. There are reports that they could have stock for up to a year. And maybe the intent is to burn through it quickly or, you know, space it out over a year. 
But, you know, how Adidas reacts would be interesting too. Like, what if they see the numbers? What if they saw that consumers are interested and that there was not that much blowback? And, you know, what if they started saying, hey, let's bring back the Wave Runner and stuff like that and started those today instead of saying that what we're releasing is stuff that has already been in the pipeline? Who would know? No one would know other than them. But I don't know what they're going to do. I'm going to have to just basically trust them for their word that they say that it's done and we're just releasing what we have. And I've said before that trust is the the most important thing that any business can have. And people will say companies will do whatever shareholders say. And I've said on this podcast before, when I get into business podcast mode, that this is not true. A company's goal is to not make profits. A goal is to create a customer. And the only way to create a customer is to give them something that they need and they trust you enough to want to buy it, which then leads to profits, which leads to, you know, shareholders being happy. So Adidas is looking at this and saw, hey, people still want these sneakers and will they get addicted to that money and try to bring it back and make it work? They'd probably like to, but I just don't see how really unless Kanye changes. And can you count on Kanye to do any of that? Like, like I said before, he's not going on any apology tour. So if they go ahead and bring back Kanye like before, not just a restock of what's in the pipeline, but like I said, a whole new deal with new sneakers and new everything equity or whatever you wanted, would that break the trust of consumers and Adidas? Is that Adidas going back on their word? Can Adidas trust Kanye? To do that deal, they would have to trust Kanye. Can you do that? Right now? Not really. He could be goose-stepping down Rodeo Drive tomorrow, for all we know. Will Adidas' own employees lose trust in their employer? Probably. We saw those Rolling Stone stories, not complex, Rolling Stone of abusive behavior at Adidas and Yeezy and how he treated people like shit. But when you work at a company, your trust can be eroded. It doesn't mean you're going to make a stand and walk out. But that's my whole point here. It's not a good thing when anyone loses some trust in you. It's not a good thing when you can't trust the collaborator themselves, Kanye West in this case. And as I said, trust should be the core priority for any business. But in this case, I can't say Adidas will never work with Kanye again going forward after this one year of stock is gone. Most likely they will not, but consumers want the shoe. There was not that much blowback. There's money on the table. There's nothing else on the shelves, it seems, other than the Samba restocks. But really, the door has not slammed shut on this. If anything, in this last couple months, it's squeaked open a bit. Next up, I want to talk about the Travis SB restock rumors that were floated a couple weeks ago. This started from Matt at Tuxedo America. And just up front, I followed him for a while. He followed me. We've DM'd a couple times about something related to SB, very minor, but otherwise I don't know him. And he was the one who posted that Travis SBs are restocking the original 2020 SB. But he also deleted his account the next day. But to rewind back a bit, he had been posting about SB news and store info a lot more in the last year or so about what's coming up next, what's dropping. And earlier this year, he had hinted at a possible Travis SB, either a new one coming at the end of the year or a restock, I guess. So I don't know what evidence he had, whether it's from a connects or piecing together evidence or from store info or how he collected everything together. It's possible he was just going by like brown colors in a fall Nike SB schedule and made the leap to its Travis, I don't know. And the other recent development in the last couple of weeks was that prices of the SBs have started to go down on the market. 
This was first pointed out by Rafkicks on Twitter. And so someone is dumping pears. So it's kind of circumstantial, but that leads credence to the theory that there could possibly be a restock coming because someone who is hoarding and holding these pairs has got the same info and wants to offload those pairs at the peak market price before the price tanks. And just about this, I'm going to get into rumor territory. Like I've said before, this is, I think, the best way to report on rumors and say this is all rumors. I don't know. I can't verify it. But the rumors online are always that the Travis site allocation of sneakers, most of it gets backdoored to the type of people that are adept and qualified to buy and hold and sell those kind of hype sneakers at big volumes. And so those pairs are either sold off or like I said, held. And then at other times we've seen where those people who have been holding have changed their mind and flooded the market. We saw this with the friends and family Wheat Air Max 1 where initially it was going for thousands of dollars and then they were just all on the apps and all sold off at what, like 300, 350 price or something like that. So why that's happening, I don't know. Are people tired of holding? Maybe they need cash to buy something else, I don't know. So that's the end of the rumor talk, but back to the Travis SB restock. A lot of this is circumstantial evidence of the market going down. Maybe there's a fall brown color of a Dunk SB coming out. So I don't know if all that was pieced together and then said, hey, this is enough for me to tweet that Travis SBs are restocking. It seems like you would need to have more than that. So Matt tweeted out that that restock is happening and I saw it like 20 minutes later and my initial thoughts was to be, hey, I don't wanna be that guy, but I'll believe it when I see it. And I kind of phrased it that way because I'm not looking to get into war with Matt about this or anyone else really. I'm just going by what I think and feel and believe. And for those initial thoughts, you don't need any insider access or anything to figure it out. You can just go by how Nike SB operates. The best way to tell of anyone's future intentions is by looking at how they've operated in the past. And this does not make any sense in how Nike SB has operated in the past. Nike SB doesn't do restocks of collabs. They do some restocks of GR inline stuff, usually to get, you know, skate shoes in the hands of skaters. But full-on restocks with new production, new production dates on the tags have not been done. Stuff that's been held back or late shipments, that I'm not sure counts. That could just be held stock or late shipments. And we've seen that recently with Polaroids and Froskates and a couple other SBs. And those are all shoes that have dropped in the last year or so. There are not shoes that dropped three, four years ago like the, the Travis SB. I saw that the Nike SB or nothing IG account had posted a story with it as well and it had Jamal Murray shaking his head. So I assume that means that they believe it's not happening either. But then also I saw them delete that IG story later too. So I figured I would ask, you know, I'm a little plugged as well and my track record speaks for itself. You know, allow me to toot my own horn, toot toot. In October, 2019, I was the first one to say that Travis SB is coming in spring, summer, 2020. And even in December of 21, when Eric Costin first posted the Jordan 4 SB wear tester pair, I posted it right away and said, is this the Jordan 4 SB? And I posted those for no other reason than for the love of the game. It wasn't for clout or money because they didn't really get that much notice and I didn't get paid for it. So, you know, I'm a little plugged. So I asked around and basically the response I got can be summarized by the laughing cry emoji which tells me it's not happening. 
So, of course, I trust this info, but I can't verify it. I don't want to verify it. I don't care enough to seek out other people and report it like a reporter. I can just go by the person I trust who sent me the laughing crying emoji, and that's enough for me. But, like, I don't know if Nike SB is changing how they operate, and now they're doing restocks of collabs. Maybe they are, but I doubt it. It doesn't make any sense, like I said. And then the next day, Matt deleted his account on both Instagram and Twitter, and that doesn't exactly instill confidence either. The natural conspiracy is that Nike got him. They got his accounts deleted. Honestly, I've seen Nike go after accounts on Instagram that have reps or customs and get those types of accounts deactivated, but nothing sneaker leaker related. And on Twitter, can you really get Elon Musk to suspend anyone these days? I don't know. So we're talking about this in a reply and Brandon, previous guest, friend of the show, Brandon Brandonian, he summarized it in the tweet saying either Matt deleted because he was wrong and he was embarrassed and so he deactivated or the person who was giving him the info got him to delete his accounts or Nike got him shut down. So I'm just going to assume he deactivated, but for why, I don't know. And when Brandon was on this podcast in episode 45, take a listen to that one if you haven't, we talked about sneaker leaking. And I mentioned then that it's hard to make it sustainable unless you have a very good connect. So you got to be connected to someone either at the brand level or someone who is plugged in and gets early pairs, you know, stolen pairs, maybe. And that person doesn't want the clout or the notoriety because they would hurt their business. But in a kind of a partnership with that person, you could get that clout and notoriety and they would not. It takes two to tango kind of thing. But when you do that, it can't be circumstantial evidence. It's got to be a pair in hand. It's got to be a skew of a, a shoe that you're holding, a tag that you can see. Or at least that's the best way to do it. But the other thing is you got to be right almost all the time. Because if you're wrong, then it's like, well, fuck you. You were wrong about this. And you also got to brand yourself kind of aggressively because otherwise you won't get credit for it. The blogs, they don't give a shit. Some of them credit. Some of them put their own at on the IG story and pretend they gave that news. So it's a lot of work sneaker leaking for no clear benefit other than clout. Maybe it's money selling early pairs or having a cook group, but I'm not sure how much it would help cook groups in 2023 with insider info. You know, insider info is not going to make your members any money. But a lot of this, like I said, I didn't want to start a war and I don't want to like just talk shit. This is totally not happening. You guys are all wrong. You guys are idiots. Did not want to go down that route. That's because... I give a lot of grace to people in their early 20s. I don't know how old Matt Tuxedo America is. I'm just assuming early 20s. Brandon, previous guest, he's in his early 20s. I just know that when I was 23, I had my head on straight, but also I was an idiot. Idiot might be too strong. So maybe, you know, didn't know as much as you thought you did is probably better, but I'm just going to say idiot. That's because everyone in their early 20s is an idiot. No offense. If you're 25 and you don't look back at when you were 20 and think you were an idiot, then maybe you're not having as much fun or not being as reckless as you should be. It's a key time in your life to go have some fun. And you do the same thing when you're 29 or 28 or so. And you look back at when you're 25 and go, wow, I was an idiot back then. I didn't know anything. I know so much more now. And after 28 or 29 and you're still an idiot, then you're just a permanent bozo. Sorry. So... That's why I give a lot of grace to people in their early 20s. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to fuck up. It's okay to be reckless. It's okay to make mistakes. If that person is nice to me, I give a lot of grace and more forgiving of all that kind of stuff. 
If they're not nice to me, then fuck you, idiot. But back to the Travis sneakers. The latest rumor is that it's not restocking, that there's not a restock of the Travis SB, but it's in fact a new design, a new Nike SB coming out. That I don't believe either. We saw recently there's a Travis Jordan 1 Golf coming out. That at least we saw like a real photo of. But in terms of a Travis SB restock or the new rumor of a brand new Travis SB coming out, I still don't believe it. I'll believe it when I see it. I don't know the time frame that leakers have, but it's not six months. A shoe takes longer than six months to create. Something that would be releasing this fall would have to have been designed 18, 24 months ago. So if there is a new sneaker coming out, I got to see the tags. I got to see the production dates on there. And then I will come on here and I'll say that I was wrong. But I've never had to do that before. And I don't think I'll have to do that this upcoming fall either. Last news story, I want to talk about a Business Insider article written by Matthew Kish and Danny Santana, both friends of the show. The article was called Nike is shuffling executives and searching for its next breakthrough innovation as unwanted Air Maxes and Air Jordans pile up. But before I get into this, I want to give the disclaimer that I usually give about these kind of articles is that I'm not a consumer footwear business analyst. I talk about hype shit. I honestly don't think collector sneakerheads make for good footwear business analysts because we care about hype and collecting and stuff like that. And a lot of this business analysis stuff is about GRs and what regular people are buying. But with that said, everyone is free to comment on it. I'm not trying to gatekeep this kind of stuff. And especially when what's GR informs what is hype. You know, you can't have quiet without loud. And the other thing about the article was it was taken in a lot of different directions, different than what was probably intended. And that's because not everyone read the full article. Being on Business Insider means you might have to have a subscription or some sort of click through way of reading the full article. And sometimes the headlines and stuff is enough for you to take it and run wild with it. The aggregated screenshots, the white kids running rap TV accounts kind of posts I was talking about. So the gist of the article is about one analyst, not about what most analysts thinks, but about one guy. His name is Sam Poser. He's a Williams trading analyst, and he thinks Nike has gotten stale with their popular franchises, and he downgraded the Nike stock to sell. Other analysts, it was mentioned in the article, disagree with him and are more bullish on Nike. But this guy, Sam, he talks about how there's a lot of retro-based franchises like Air Jordan and Air Max, and some of these shoes have sold for less than retail on StockX. The article also talks about how Nike's looking for their next big innovation and how there's a company press release talking about their commitment to innovation, you know, something to replace the Air Max 270. And they haven't, I guess, exactly found a replacement. Maybe the replacement was just more pentaducks. Article also talk about the executive shuffle at Nike and any executive shuffle, if you work in a corporate environment, it's always just, you know, so-and-so is replacing so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. We really thank so-and-so for their efforts. And it's just a bunch of boring corporate speak. But it was referred to in this article too, about how Nike is kind of walking back the direct-to-consumer DTC approach that Nike is back in stores at places like Macy's. And it was reported later after this article that they're back at DSW as well, Designer Shoe Warehouse. And places like that, DSW, Macy's, you know, they're selling the shoes for the Heaven's Gate cult members there. The GR shit that sneakerheads don't give a shit about. There's not going to be a Jordan 1 there, even a Jordan 1 low in those places. 
but that's their bread and butter and that's the stuff that adds up to the numbers so that's why i say i don't exactly believe in graduates of twitter business school commenting on this i'm a graduate of twitter business school but i at least draw the line of where my knowledge is on this kind of stuff and my sneakerhead collector analysis of this is that shoes are still selling out maybe not as fast enough as they were once before like these lucky green jordan ones and whatever wash leather Jordan that's come out, eventually they will sell out. And yes, some stuff does sit. For example, the Air Max 1s and stuff that come out. And my friend Nick was saying that Air Max 1 is a shoe for old people. You don't see very many younger people wearing an Air Max 1. And it's true. Like Anyone who's excited about the big bubble weren't exactly you know 19-year-olds. But in terms of the corporate structure we're seeing now, growth is what's important to companies. So if you're selling and you're not selling as fast enough, that means you're not growing. You see this in product, in retail, in tech, in digital media. If it's not growing, it's considered a failure. And no one wants to be a steady company that pays good dividends to stockholders. They want growth. There's a recent example about the site Defector.com, which is operated by ex-Deadspin writers. Friend of the show, Dan McQuaid, works there. And their editor-in-chief was asked about their earnings reports that they released and asked about the comparison to Barstool Sports, which got acquired by a big gaming company. And Tom Lay, the editor-in-chief, he said, you know, this is our little neighborhood bar business. We don't need to have these big margins. We pay our employees and that's it. He said, quote, no one owns a bar is thinking, I can't wait for NBC Universal to come offer to buy my bar for $100 million. And he said, if you're just running a business and you're running it with your friends, it becomes a lot easier to be just like, yeah, we're having success and that's all we need. And so honestly, it's just a great way of looking at things. It's, you know, you still want growth. You still want to make more money. That's never not going to be a thing. But you're not sitting around saying I should be this and I should be that. But back to corporate and tech world, that's not a business you're running with some friends. That's a thing that just needs to be constantly fed, that needs to constantly grow. And if you're not doing that, you're a failure. So, you know, the online analysis to that Business Insider story was all over the place because people were kind of responding to the IG journalism version, the rap TV version of it. Some of the answers were basically the opposite. Some were like, this is happening because Nike has too much inventory. There's too many releases, too many colorways. There's just a saturation with shoes and clabs and everything. Then there was the opposite. This is happening because there's not enough inventory that they're lying. Everyone is losing on sneakers app, but Nike can't sell out enough shoes. Doesn't make any sense. Or, you know, the classic one is probably just give people what they want instead of making it limited. Some other comments were like, you know, this is all happening because prices are high or they should make everything a pre-order. That's the answer to everything. Or, you know, this is happening because sneakers are dead and we're all going to go back to like moccasins now, I guess. Or, you know, the, the best answer is probably we should just drop more Panda Ducks, which is probably what Nike will do. But we're seeing more and more of the sneakers are dead crowd talking. And, you know, it's a slow time in sneakers and it feels like the sneaker off season. Like I said before, it feels like it's between eras. And honestly, I feel like 2024 will be different. Everything that's releasing now was designed and first thought up in the bubble boom period during COVID. And that's over that those same numbers don't work now. So I assume we'll get back to it and we'll see a shift coming up. And, you know, I have higher hopes for the second half of the year. But it overall could be a down year where there's not a lot of great sneakers, a lot of great hype sneakers I'm talking about. But there's always going to be the people who say sneakers are dead, sneakers are over. And the key part of all this is how old are you when you say something like this? 
It's natural as you get older. Hey, my interest is waning. You know, I talked about Spider-Man before. It was not something I did intentionally. It just happened. And for sneakers, maybe it starts slowly. Maybe you miss a drop or two and you find out it wasn't so bad that I missed a drop or two. And like I said, you start just enjoying things from farther away. But what happens is people project this kind of perspective, this sneakers are dead onto everyone else. Hey, it's not that my interest is going down. It's interest is going down across the board. And if this article agrees with me, I haven't read the full article. I just read the white guy rap TV version of it. It validates my point of view. that Sneakers are over and sneakers are dead. Thank you, white guy at rap TV for posting this on Instagram. But as the cold open says, as Tony Soprano says, it's good to be in something from the ground floor. If you're 21 now, you're thinking, shit, the best is over. I came in at the end, just like Tony Soprano. What's going to happen? You're going to wear moccasins now? Sneakers are over? This time next year, we're all going to be wearing Skechers and buying our shoes from Kmart? That's not happening either. And as I talked about in the Sneaker Taste episode, what year you were born in is a key part of how and why you like things. And also when your interest starts to tail off. I always use music as an example. Personally, I just find a lot of parallels in music interest and sneakers. Sometimes there's lots of parallels. Sometimes it's the opposite. For example, back in my day, you had to work for access to any music. You had to find it. You had to have tapes and recording was a hassle. In sneakers, the back in my day version is the opposite in that you could just walk into any sneaker store and buy anything you wanted because everything was available. But the other thing that's key here is age and repetition. Repetition is the key. You know, I mentioned Guns N' Roses earlier. In 1987 and 1988, I listened to the Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction cassette tape every single day. I would come home from school, I'd play the tape, and then I'd go have my snacks or whatever. Maybe it wasn't the best idea for a nine-year-old to listen to that, but like I said, I love that album, and I still love that album. Like Every word, every beat, every drum fill. I know every lyric, and I know the misheard lyric of my youth. For music... It was that age and it was that repetition that was the key. Another example that I was thinking about recently was Nirvana. Nirvana's Nevermind album came out in September 1991. What year you were born tells me a lot about how you would like or appreciate a Nirvana song. I was 13 when it came out. I was waiting for Guns N' Roses' Use Your Illusion albums to come out, which they did a couple weeks later. And I do love those albums. But Nirvana was this huge seismic shift. It's kind of credited as killing off hair metal because it was the start of this whole new grunge era. And that's where I was in those formative years as a 13-year-old at the beginning of something new. But at the time, I was waiting for the next Guns N' Roses album. In terms of hair metal, it was already winding down. It had been years since their last album, and music was changing in those early 90s years. No one was exactly waiting for a new era to begin, They were just enjoying the music of the time. And that's what I feel like we're in with sneakers right now. A new era has to begin, but we don't know where it's coming from, who it will be, and how. For grunge music that kicked off that next era, that was only like 1991 to 95 or so. Look at where we just finished off now with Yeezys and Off-White. That was 2017 to 2023. But did you need to be 13 in 1991 to like Nirvana? No, of course not. It's because some of those songs are a masterpiece. Smells Like Teen Spirit is a masterpiece in any era. So anyone who's listening to that song now is going to have a different perspective of that song than the 13-year-old version of me who's listening to it for the very first time. And Nirvana isn't like other bands, and because of Kurt's death, it's kind of frozen in time. 
and sneakers are not the same way. A retro sneaker is from like 1985, like the Jordan one, but it's not frozen in time. It's evolved. It's got zip ties and new colorways, new materials. It's always changing. And the Jordan 1 or Jordan 3 or Jordan 11 is a masterpiece in any era. But what is frozen in time is the memories that old heads have of it. So anyone who likes or appreciates a Jordan 3 in 2023 is going to have a different perspective than the 10-year-old version of me watching Michael Jordan from the free throw line dunk in Jordan 3s. So a lot of this I've talked about before, but why I'm bringing it up now is because I don't think enough is done to nurture or think about people from a different perspective, a different age, who are just born in a different era. And projecting your perspective on them is not a good idea. It's better to figure out how they experience things. The other thing is people think they have all the same experience, that everyone's got the same version of the same sneakerhead story. I liked them as a kid, a parent or sibling or an athlete got me into it. I begged my mom, she bought them for me. It was a great time. So that's what I figured I'd try with this next segment. I was kind of wary of this topic at first because I don't know if young people want to hear what an old man has to say about sneakers these days, but then I realized that's basically the entire premise of this podcast. So fuck it, here it is. I don't know if I should call this my advice for new sneakerheads or what I'd tell myself if I was starting a sneaker collection now, but the scenario that I had come up with was if I'm talking to a 21-year-old and they're asking me advice about getting into sneakers or starting a collection, what would I say to them? There's a difference between active learning and passive learning. So that's why in this scenario, someone is actively interested and wants me to give them advice. So I went by the numbers of the podcast, the metrics of it. 23% of the listeners are younger than 27. 33% are 28 to 34. And 27% are 35 to 44. So I figured even if you're not 21 listening to this right now, if you're older, if you're 39 or whatever, you most likely know someone in your family or your circle of friends who is younger and sees you as the sneaker collector type. So if you're young, if you're in your early 20s, great. This is my advice for you if you're actively trying to seek it out. If you're older, this is advice you can pass on to that person you know if they ask you a question. And the big disclaimer is that young people don't really give a shit about advice. So that's why I gave the hypothetical scenario where someone is asking you and actively wants to know. If someone does not want to hear your advice, don't bother giving it advice. The other disclaimer, of course, is that there's exceptions to everything. I might give some advice here and you might be thinking, well, nope, I would ever say that. So I'm not going to say that. That's normal. So big disclaimer, everything I say, there's an exception to it. Let's move on from there. And there's two main sneaker cliches that are always said. One is buy what you like and wear your sneakers. And they're cliches for a reason. It's obviously sound advice. You should buy what you like and you should wear your sneakers. But I'm not going to talk about it in those two cliched ways. But in a way, it always kind of circles back to that advice too. My goal is to have a wider audience and, you know, not to have an old head gatekeeper mindset. Because I don't. I want the opposite. I want to welcome in a newer, younger audience that didn't grow up like I did and therefore has that different perspective. And the two main sneaker perspectives really are if you're just a casual, you know, the GR type wearer or the collector. And... If you're listening to this, you probably consider yourself a collector. Most casuals wouldn't listen to a niche sneaker podcast like this, but collectors would. And most sneaker content is made for collectors and not the casual. So 
I'm still going to be talking to a collector type audience. This disclaimer is way too long, so I'll get on with it. You know, the number one cliche was uh, buy what you like. And, you know, my version of that is develop your own sneaker taste. And when you're starting out, it's not going to be refined. It's just that's just not how things work. You got to start somewhere. And if you're getting into sneakers and you go to the mall and you find a nice Jordan that you like and your friends start roasting you for wearing that Jordan because it's a Jordan six rings. This is because six rings is known as a down market version of other Jordans and not something that Jordan actually wore. You know, I'm not going to tell you what to like and why. You got to feel it yourself. You know, people who buy fakes, they're the people who don't feel it themselves. They're more powered by perception and other things like insecurity or anger or whatever. I bring up the six ring stories because when you're younger, there's always this war against embarrassment. You know, the phrase, what are those? Like, that's the perfect example of this. No one wants to be the victim of a what are those. And the other thing when you're young is that you're always being asked to be conscious of things before your existence. Like the Jordan Six Rings example, like this happens all the time. And young people kind of already know how to navigate this world. But what I wanted to say is that sometimes these things don't really matter over time. The stuff that people gatekeep, it's like, it's pointless now. For example, on sneaker drops, how drops happened before. It doesn't really matter. If you don't know what happened on a drop 10 to 15 years ago, does it really matter? It's probably something related to a lineup or whatever, but things have so much changed and moved on since then that it just doesn't matter anymore. People will tell you that it matters, but it really doesn't. And this is just wrapped up in uh, you weren't outside kind of remarks. But there's a lot of callbacks and references in sneakers. All retros, by definition, is a callback to something that's previously released or a story that was told. I talked about active and passive learning. You know, if you want to learn things, it's not hard at all. Google's right there. You can set a StockX filter by year, search for the highest price of a given year, and you'll get the results of what the most popular sneaker in 2003 was. But if you're doing it that way, you're not going to retain any of that. If you treat it like you're studying for an exam, you're not going to remember any of that shit. And do you need to learn the history of every single sneaker? No, not really. It's obvious when a sneaker is important because it'll be said by many over and over that this sneaker is important. Sometimes things are better the less context you have. Do you really need to know about the history of Vanilla Ice's Ice Ice Baby? Not really. Do you really need to know about the history of the Nike Blazer? Not really. If you want to, both are kind of pretty interesting in context, but you don't need to. But I'm not saying just screw sneaker history, you don't need to learn it. You can learn it. What I'm saying is just do it one sneaker at a time in context. For example, say you see this Nike Dunk that's multicolor. It's like orange and purple and all kinds of colors. And you Google Nike Dunk multicolor and you go to the images tab and you see the search results. And somewhere at the bottom, you see this is the one that I was thinking about. It's the Viotech Dunk from 2019. You search Viotech Dunk then, you see that it also retroed in 2013. And then you also can see that it was originally a Ko.jp 2001 Japan exclusive release. So just from searching multicolor dunk that you may have saw on the street, you just learned four or five key things about sneaker history right there. You learned the name of the shoe, you learned when it retroed, you learned that why people might like it because it was Japan exclusive back in the day. I know I might be stating the obvious here and you might be thinking, God, is he going to tell us to put garbage in the garbage can? The key point is you do it in context that when you see it, then you go look for it and then you'll retain it better. And you could just build your knowledge like this over the years. 
And then over the years, as you're going, as you're building your knowledge, it's okay to have blind spots. That's just shit that you haven't had the time or need to look into yet. You know, there's always this emphasis on classics that you need to know the classics. And obviously that's a good place to start. And really classics go up and down. If they're in style right now, it's where a classic shoe meets the current moment. Sometimes they don't meet the current moment and you don't see them for a while, but then they come back. And there are some classics right now that have been slowly fading in luster. Sometimes it happens quickly and it drops off suddenly, like the Adidas Superstar, for example. And others are happening slowly, like the Jordan 11, for example. You know, the annual Jordan December 11 release is still going to be huge. But every year in the last little bit, it's gone down a bit. But look, the Jordan 11 is still going to be a huge release every year. If it has a million pairs and it goes down to, say, 750,000 pairs, that's still a lot of pairs. And it will be forever wearable for someone who was born in 1982 because they were 13 when that sneaker came out in 1995. My friend Nick on Twitter, uh, StockX Sniper, was saying, have you ever seen a teenager wear an Air Max 1? And it's true, I don't think I ever have. Even these big bubble Air Max 1s came out. It was all the old heads that were excited about it. So my advice for anyone who's 21 and just getting into sneakers is that you can skip all the old head silhouettes. If you don't have any nostalgia for it, skip it entirely. For Jordans, you know, you might like the Jordan 1 or the 3 or 4 or maybe even the 11. Whatever Jordans that meet the current moment now for you, the 21-year-old, go ahead, like those ones. The rest, people just buy because of nostalgia, especially those of us who are size 12 and up. We either saw Jordan play or members of our family wore them or bought them. Look at all the chunky 90s basketball sneakers. We love those because we watch 90s basketball with the NBA on NBC theme and the hard elbows and all that kind of stuff. You don't need some Reebok Shaq or Mitch Richmond shoe, you know, unless you know who Run TMC is. Shout out if you know who Run TMC is. But that's because nostalgia's got a grip on all of us old heads. The modern way of saying that is nostalgia's got us in a chokehold. Everything's got us in a chokehold lately. And to go on a small nostalgia tangent, which I've probably done before, but I'll repeat it again. How nostalgia works is that 20 to 30 years ago is the sweet spot for nostalgia. You know, 40 years ago, which would be 1983 right now. Sure, there's lots of nostalgia for that too. In music, you know, bands like ACDC and stuff like that. 50 years ago, 1973, Bowie, Zeppelin, there's still nostalgia for that. But when it gets to 60 years ago, it starts waning. In terms of sneakers, there's the Air Max One Concepts Woodstock reference. That's probably the oldest 60s reference that I can remember for a sneaker. After 70 years, there's not that much nostalgia at all. That's kind of the limit of nostalgia. You know, maybe there's going to be exceptions for the ultra classics like Beatles or Mickey Mouse or whatever. Stuff that gets renewed and rejuvenated. At least Mickey Mouse is a little bit easier to do than the Beatles. But, you know, 70 years ago is 1953 right now. And people who are 90 years old are probably not thinking about what pop culture they were into when they were in their 20s. So there's an expiration date on nostalgia. So if you weren't there... You weren't there. You don't need to retcon someone else's nostalgia. You can just skip all that. Just own that you weren't there. If you're 21, you're probably like, sorry, bro, I was 11 years old in 2014. I wasn't standing in line for Supreme Foams. You know, it sounds ridiculous, but it's like, sorry, bro, I wasn't on Nike Talk sending money orders for Jordan 10s with the toe cap. I was literally riding a tricycle at the time. So I wouldn't feel insecure about it. I would just own it. And the thing about all this is, this might be the key point of this entire podcast, is that 
pretty much any boom period in any subculture came from someone doing something fresh and new that meets the current moment. And that is precisely why you don't really need to pay too much attention to people who are like, it needs to be like how it used to be. You know, when Tinker's in the lab or Virgil was in the lab or even Kanye got his team together, what if someone told those people, hey, sneakers needs to be like how it used to be instead of whatever the fuck you're about to do right now. So that's what we need right now in sneakers. We need that next boom period. We need someone who's not looking at how things used to be, but are looking at things how they should be going forward. And whatever you do, though, you might not be good enough for the gatekeepers. You won't be good enough for some no matter what. The goalposts always move. The arguments become about dumb shit like semantics and the definition of a word. I'm not OG enough for some but they don't know my story. I just assume that they think that I'm a guy who doesn't collect like they do. And, you know, just saying that out loud sounds ridiculous. How dare someone not collect sneakers like I do? That being said, I'm not saying go out there and attack old heads if they're tweeting these bad opinions. If they're just tweeting them into the ether on Twitter, that's fine. That's what Twitter is for. Bad opinions will always exist no matter what era. It's the one true timeless thing. I just feel like we should treat bad opinions as entertainment and not some sort of existential threat. Now, I just let it delight me with its stupidity instead of letting it anger me with how dumb it is. But that's just how I am. That's my perspective. But if someone is being shitty to you about this kind of stuff, especially online and just especially with how Twitter has been lately, I will say that someone does not deserve any extra level of respect just because they're an OG or they have more sneakers than you or they have more sneaker knowledge than you, the only way to gain respect is to show respect. And how people treat people is a better indication of how they are as a person, not what year they were born or how big their sneaker collection is. I don't put anyone on a pedestal for having a crazy sneaker collection or for having the foresight to buy a Jordan 1 in 1985. Like, sorry, bro, I was seven or eight years old in a small town in Canada living on the wrong side of the tracks. You know, this might all just be hypothetical that I'm thinking about, but just I'm thinking about how Twitter is and how it's becoming lately. I just want to say that someone's knowledge and experience does not give them carte blanche to be shitty to anyone. Really, I think those type of people, the OGs, the people who know this kind of stuff should be held to a higher standard. They've been around the block and should be setting the example and bridging the gap to the next generation and letting the next generation take it in their own direction. But that's not how people are. The other key word I've been saying in this podcast and probably every single episode is collection. And if you're 21 right now, you're probably just starting off on a collection. You probably have a few pairs. It's just assumed that all sneakerheads are avid sneaker collectors. And there's two ways that these two groups look at sneakers. Like I've said before, non-collectors, if they want the hype sneaker once a year, you most likely weren't gonna get it. And often those are the people who are loudest about the L's, that sneaker game has changed that I can't just swoop in and get my lost and found ones, and that's all I wanted this year. Whereas the collector, we know that the success rate on sneakers is low, and if you want more hype sneakers, you just gotta be trying more often, you gotta be entering every online raffle, every in-store raffle, you gotta be this always online guy, especially if you're looking at a monitor where these stuff restocks all the time. And I understand a few years ago when everything was reselling a lot, you could be always online guy and make a lot of money, run a bot or whatever. But now a lot of that stuff has just gone away. And now is a good time to not be an always online guy, to turn off the notifications, to go touch grass, as the kids say. You can't be an always online guy and touch grass. 
So my advice for any 21-year-old who's trying to build their collection is to do it later in life. Start the big collection later and go for repetition of sneakers now while you're young, while you're outside, while you're touching grass. You know, everyone's got a number of what they want. Every collector has a saturation point. After, say, 100, you say, I have too many, I have to get rid of some. That number for you might be 20, might be 50, might be 200, whatever it is. So I say go take your rotation of sneakers, whatever it is, and just wear them over and over again and go make memories of them. That way, later in life, when you're 35 and watching Sesame Street with your two-year-old and Travis Scott shows up on Sesame Street, it might trigger a memory of you wearing Travis Scott Jordan 1s on a Vegas trip with your buddies right now. That repetition while you're young, while you're in your 20s, is what's important. It gives you memories for a lifetime. You know, the other advice I have as an older person is basically the importance of memory. In the cold open, that was Tony Soprano in season one, probably in the first few episodes, where he's at the beginning of the story that they tell in the series that, you know, he feels like he came in at the end of the kind of the mob era, that the best is over. And if you're 21 right now in sneakers, maybe you feel that way, that shit, I came in and all this stuff feels like it's over right now. Our fight's over, Yeezys are over, and there's no clear sense of direction of where it's going. But back to Sopranos for a bit. In the season one finale, Tony's at a dinner with his family, and he makes a toast and says, uh, let me just actually play it here. Uh, wait a minute. I'd like to propose a toast to my family. Someday soon, you're gonna have families of your own. And if you're lucky, you remember the little moments, like this. That were good. Cheers. So if you watch the entire series, I recommend you go back and watch season one afterwards. Because it kind of wraps it all together and shows you what the overarching theme of the entire series was. Because in the last scene of the series, the very last episode, Tony's son AJ references this dinner and says, Didn't you say focus on the good times? Isn't that what you said? And Tony, can you remember it? He's like, I did? And it just showed how far Tony had fallen. That he couldn't remember the good times. He couldn't remember the little moments. He couldn't remember even saying, remember the little moments. So if you're 21, that's my advice to you. That you didn't come in at the end. The best is not over. And that someday soon, you'll have families of your own. And if you're lucky, you'll remember the little moments like this that were good. Thank you for listening to episode 54 of the Sock Jake Sneaker Podcast. I hope you're forever in debt to this priceless advice. And go fuck yourself. <laughs>